Years ago, feeling deep concern for the number of abortions in the world, President Gordon B. Hinckley addressed the women of the Church with words that are relevant for us today. He said, You who are the wives and mothers are the anchors of the family. You bear the children. What an enormous and sacred responsibility that is. What is happening to our appreciation of the sanctity of human life? Abortion is an evil, stark and real and repugnant, which is sweeping over the earth. I plead with the women of this church to shun it, to stand above it, to stay away from those compromising situations which make it appear desirable. There may be some few circumstances under which it can occur, but they are extremely limited. You are the mothers of the sons and daughters of God whose lives are sacred. Safeguarding them is a divinely given responsibility which cannot be lightly brushed aside. Elder Marcus B. Nash shared with me the story of a dear 84-year-old woman who during her baptismal interview acknowledged an abortion many years before. With heartfelt emotion, she said, I have carried the burden of having aborted a child every day of my life for 46 years. Nothing I did would take the pain and guilt away. I was hopeless until I was taught the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I learned how to repent, and suddenly I was filled with hope. I finally came to know that I could be forgiven if I truly repented of my sins. How grateful we are for the divine gifts of repentance and forgiveness. A society, for example, in which, the, in which individual consent is the only constraint on sexual activity is a society in decay. Adultery, promiscuity, elective abortion, and out-of-wedlock births are but some of the bitter fruits that grow out of the immorality sanctioned by the sexual revolution. In my lifetime, we have seen a dramatic change in the world's beliefs about many of the principles taught in the proclamation. During my teenage and early married years, many in the world walked away from the Lord's standard we call the law of chastity, that sexual relations are to occur only between a man and woman who are lawfully married. In my 20s and 30s, many walked away from the sacred protection of the unborn as abortion became more acceptable. In more recent years, Many have walked away from God's law that marriage is a sacred union between a man and a woman. Mortal life is sacred to us. Our commitment to God's plan requires us to oppose abortion and euthanasia. One cause of the diminishing birth rate is the practice of abortion. Worldwide, there are estimated to be more than 40 million abortions per year. Many laws permit or even promote abortion, but to us, this is a great evil. Parents and children should realize that strong opposition will always come against the work and will of the Lord. Because the work and glory of God is to bring to pass our immortality and eternal life as a family, it logically follows that the work of the adversary will strike directly at the heart of the home, the family. Relentlessly, Lucifer attacks the sanctity of life and the joy of parenthood. Because the evil one is ever at work, our vigilance cannot be relaxed, not even for a moment. A small and seemingly innocent invitation can turn to a tall temptation which can lead to tragic transgression. Night and day, at home or away, we must shun sin and hold fast that which is good. 
The seditious evils of pornography, abortion, and addiction to harmful substances serve as termites to erode the undergirding strength of a happy home and a faithful family. We cannot yield to any iniquity without putting our families at risk. Satan wants us to be miserable just as he is. He would animate our carnal appetites, entice us to live in spiritual darkness, and doubt the reality of life after death. I am told that between 1972 and 1990, there were 27 million abortions in the United States alone. What is happening to our appreciation of the sanctity of human life? Abortion is an evil, stark, and real and repugnant, which is sweeping over the earth. I plead with the women of this Church to shun it, to stand above it to stay away from those compromising situations which make it appear desirable. There may be some few circumstances under which it can occur, but they are extremely limited and, for the most part, improbable. You are the mothers of the sons and daughters of God, whose lives are sacred. Safeguarding them is a divine responsibility which cannot be lightly brushed aside. What is your position on abortion? According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there were more than 1,200,000 abortions performed in 1995 in the United States alone. What has happened to our regard for human life? How can women and men deny the great and precious gift of life, which is divine in its origin and nature. How wonderful a thing is a child! How beautiful is a newborn babe! There is no greater miracle than the creation of human life. Abortion is an ugly thing, a debasing thing, a thing which inevitably brings remorse and sorrow and regret. While we denounce it, we make allowance in such circumstances as when pregnancy is the result of incest or rape, when the life or health of the mother is judged by competent medical authority to be in serious jeopardy, or when the fetus is known by competent medical authority to have ser serious severe defects that will not allow the baby to survive beyond birth. But such instances are rare and there is only a negligible probability of their occurring. In these circumstances, those who face the question are asked to consult with their local ecclesiastical dealers and to pray in great earnestness, receiving a confirmation through prayer before proceeding. There is a far better way. If there is no prospect of marriage to the man involved, Leaving the mother alone, there remains the very welcome option of placing the child for adoption by parents who will love it and care for it. There are many such couples in good homes who long for a child and cannot have one. I have no hesitancy in stating, brothers and sisters, that unless checked, permissiveness by the end of its journey will cause humanity to stare in mute disbelief at its awful consequences. Ironically, as some people become harder, they use softer words to describe dark deeds. This, too, is part of being sedated by secularism. Needless abortion, for instance, is a reproductive health procedure, which is an even more spongy expression than termination of pregnancy. Illegitimacy gives way to the wholly sanitized non-marital birth or alternative parenting. Church members will live in this wheat and tares situation until the millennium. When we speak plainly of divorce, abuse, gender identity, contraception, abortion, parental neglect, we are thought by some to be way out of touch or to be uncaring. 
Some ask if, if we know how many we hurt when we speak plainly. Do we know of marriages in trouble, of the many who remain single, of single parent families, or couples unable to have children, or parents with wayward children, or those confused about gender? Do we know? Do we care? Those who ask have no idea how much we care. You know little of the sleepless nights, of the endless hours of work, of prayer, of study, of travel, all for the happiness and redemption of mankind. Because we do know, we, and because we do care, we must teach the rules of happiness without dilution, apology, or avoidance. That is our calling. Some who do not know the plan of salvation behave like promiscuous animals. But Latter-day Saints, especially those who are under sacred covenants, have no such latitude. We are solemnly responsible to God for the destruction or the misuse of the creative powers He has placed within us. The ultimate act of destruction is to take a life. That is why abortion is such a serious sin. Our attitude toward abortion is not based on revealed knowledge of when mortal life begins for legal purposes. It is fixed by our knowledge that according to an eternal plan, all of the spirit children of God must come to this earth for a glorious purpose, and that individual identity began long before conception and will continue for all the eternities to come. We rely on the prophets of God who have told us that while there may be rare exceptions, the practice of elective abortion is fundamentally contrary to the Lord's injunction, Thou shalt not kill nor do anything like unto it. Abortion, which in has increased enormously, causes one to ask, Have we strayed so far from God's second great commandment, Love thy neighbor? that a baby in a womb no longer qualifies to be loved, at least as the mother's neighbor? Even so, violence to an unborn child does not justify other violence. That which should be absolutely private is disrobed and acted out center stage. In the shadows backstage are addiction, pornography, perversion, infidelity, abortion, and the saddest of them all, incest and molestation. In company with them now is the plague of biblical proportion, and all of them are on the increase. Society excuses itself from responsibility except for teaching the physical process of reproduction to children in school to prevent pregnancy and disease and providing teenagers with devices which are supposed to protect them from both. When any effort is made to include values in these courses, not just values of the Church, but of civilization, the protest arises, you're imposing religion upon us, infringing upon our freedom. While we pass laws to reduce pollution of the earth, any proposal to protect the moral and spiritual environment is shouted down and marched against as infringing upon liberty, agency, freedom, the right to choose. Interesting how one virtue, when given exaggerated or fanatical emphasis, can be used to batter down another. With freedom, a virtue invoked to protect vice. People who are otherwise sensible say, I do not intend to indulge, but I vote for freedom of choice for those who do. Regardless of how lofty and moral the pro-choice argument sounds, it is badly flawed. With that same logic, one could argue that all traffic signs and barriers which keep the careless from danger should be pulled down on the theory that each individual must be free to choose how close to the edge he will go. The phrase free agency does not appear in scriptures, 
The only agency spoken of there is moral agency, which the Lord said, I have given unto every man that he may be accountable for his own sins in the day of judgment. I know of no sins connected with the moral standard for which we cannot be forgiven. I do not exempt abortion. The formula is stated in 40 words. Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. By this ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. My message is to you who are tempted to either to promote or to enter or to remain in a lifestyle which violates your covenants and will one day bring sorrow to you and to those who love you. Growing numbers of people now campaign to make spiritually dangerous lifestyles legal and socially acceptable. Among them are abortion, the gay-lesbian movement, and drug addiction. They are debated in forums and seminars and classes in conversations and conventions and in courts all over the world. The social and political aspects of them are in the press every day. The point I make is simply this. There is a moral and spiritual side to these issues which is universally ignored. Always when these destructive lifestyles are debated, individual right of choice is invoked as though it were the one sovereign virtue. That could only be true if there were but one of us. The rights of any individual bumps up against the rights of another. And the simple truth is, we cannot be happy, nor saved, nor exalted without one another. Nowhere is the right of choice defended with more vigor than with abortion. Having chosen to act, and a conception having occurred, it cannot then be unchosen. But there are still choices, and always the best one. Sometimes the covenant of marriage has been broken. More often, none was made. In or out of marriage, abortion is not an individual choice. At a minimum, three lives are involved. And the scriptures tell us, Thou shalt not kill, nor do anything like unto it, except where the wicked crime of incest or rape was involved or where competent medical authorities certify that the life of the mother is in jeopardy or that a severely defective fetus cannot survive birth, abortion is clearly a thou shalt not. Even in these very exceptional cases, much sober prayer is required to make the right choice. We face such sobering choices because we are the children of God. I believe that most people are drawn into a life of drug addiction or perversion or submit to an abortion without really realizing how morally and spiritually dangerous they are. The love we offer may be a tough love, but it is of the purest kind, and we have more to offer than our love. We can teach you of the cleansing power of repentance. If covenants have been broken, however hard it may be, they may be reinstated, and you can be forgiven. Even for abortion? Yes, even for that. Come now, and let us reason together saith the Lord. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Your foes in a sordid society demean the sacredness of women and the sanctity of motherhood. Your world, sickened by unchastity and plagued with sexually transmitted disease, needs your righteous example. For the wrath of God is provoked by governments that sponsor gambling, condone pornography, or legalize abortion. These forces serve to denigrate women now 
just as they did in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Adultery or anything like it is abominable in the sight of the Lord. President Kimball again has wisely observed among the most common sexual sins our young people commit are necking and petting. Not only do these improper relations often lead to fornication, pregnancy, and abortion, all ugly sins, but in and of themselves they are pernicious evils, and it is often difficult for youth to distinguish where one ends and another begins. More attention is seemingly focused on the fate of a life at some penitentiary's death row than on the millions totally deprived of life's opportunity through such odious carnage before birth. The Lord has repeatedly declared this divine imperative, Thou shalt not kill. Recently he added, Nor do anything like unto it. What twisted reasoning has transformed mythical concepts into contorted slogans ascending to a practice which is consummately wrong? These slogans begin with proper concern for the health of the mother. Infrequently, instances may occur in which continuation of pregnancy could be life-threatening to the mother. When deemed by competent medical authorities that the life of one must be terminated in order to save the life of the other, many agree it's better to spare the mother. But these circumstances are rare, particularly where modern medical care is available. Another sympathetic concern applies to pregnancies resulting from rape or incest. The tragedy of this despoilment is compounded because in such relationships freedom of choice is denied the woman who is innocently involved. But less than 3% of all abortions are performed for these two reasons. The other 97% are for what may be termed reasons of convenience. Some argue for abortion because a malformed child may result. The harmful effects of certain infectious or toxic agents in the first trimester of pregnancy are real. The experience of a couple whom I shall identify as brother and sister Brown is instructive. Sister Brown was only 21 years old at the time, a beautiful woman, a devoted wife. In her first trimester, she contracted the dreaded German measles. Abortion was advised because the developing baby would almost surely be damaged. Some members of her family, out of loving concern, applied additional pressure for abortion. Don't burden yourself financially with a handicapped child. You're too young and too poor. Devotedly, they consulted their bishop, and he referred them to their stake president, who listened to their serious concern, counseled them not to terminate the life of this baby, even though the child might have a problem. He quoted this scripture, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. They chose to follow that counsel and permit their child to be born, a beautiful little girl, normal in every respect except for a hearing loss that became evident later. After an evaluation at the school for the deaf, brother and sister Brown were advised that this child had the intellect of a genius. Now some twenty years later, she attends a major university on a scholarship. When recently asked how they felt about their once weighty decision, the mother quickly responded, Oh, she's one of the great joys of my life. She is such a choice spirit. Though she lost the sense of hearing, she is compensated with augmented ability otherwise. Her eyes are alive with constant attention. She excels in dancing, even though she perceives the sounds of music from vibrations. She served as an officer in school. But most significant is her guileless spirit, her unconditional love. She has taught us to share and to serve. Her spiritual insights have helped us to know God and His purposes. My husband and I are so grateful that she is one of our children. End of quotation. Consider another individual weighing the consequences of her pregnancy. 
She was beyond the normal age for bearing children. She announced to her doctor that her husband was an alcoholic with a syphilitic infection. One of her children had been born dead, another was blind, another had tuberculosis. Her family had a history of deafness. Finally, she confessed that she was living in abject poverty. If this true historical situation were posed today, many would recommend abortion. The child born from that pregnancy became the renowned composer Ludwig von Beethoven. The woman's choice for her own body does not validate choice for the body of another. The expression, terminate the pregnancy, applies literally only to the woman. The consequence of terminating the fetus therein involves the body and very life of another. These two individuals have separate brains, separate hearts, separate circulatory systems. To pretend that there is no child and no life there is to deny reality. It's not a question of when meaningful life begins or when the spirit quickens the body. In biological sciences, it is known that life begins when two germ cells unite to form one cell, bringing together 23 chromosomes from both the father and from the mother. These chromosomes contain thousands of genes. In a marvelous process involving a combination of genetic coding by which all the basic human characteristics of the unborn person are established, a new DNA complex is formed. A continuum of growth results in a new human being. The onset of life is not a debatable issue, but a fact of science. Approximately 22 days after the two cells have united, a little heart begins to beat. At 26 days, the circulation of blood begins. Scripture declares that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Abortion sheds that innocent blood. Now, as a servant of the Lord, I dutifully warn those who advocate and practice abortion that they incur the wrath of Almighty God who declared, If man hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, he shall be surely punished. Of those who shed innocent blood, a prophet declared, the judgments which God shall exercise in His wrath shall be just, and the blood of the innocent shall stand as a witness against them, yea, and cry mightily against them at the last day. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has consistently opposed the practice of abortion. One hundred years ago, the First Presidency wrote, And we again take this opportunity of warning the Latter-day Saints against those practices of feticide and infanticide. Early in his presidency, our beloved President Spencer W. Kimball said, We decry abortions and ask our people to refrain from this serious transgression. Why destroy a life that could bring such joy to others? Now, is there hope for those who have so sinned without full understanding, who now suffer heartbreak? Yes. So far as is known, the Lord does not regard this transgression as murder. And as far as has been revealed, a person may repent and be forgiven for the sin of abortion. Gratefully, we know the Lord will help all who are truly repentant. Yes, life is precious. No one can cuddle a cherished newborn baby. Look into those beautiful eyes. Feel the little fingers and caress that miraculous creation without deepening reverence for life and for our Creator. Life comes from life. It is a gift from our Heavenly Father. It is eternal as He is eternal. Innocent life is not sent by him to be destroyed. This doctrine is not of me, but of the living God and of his divine Son, which I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can the power to love be misused? Sadly, yes. The illegitimate union of the sexes has, in my observation, been one of the greatest causes of grief. 
In some instances, the improper use of this sacred physical endowment has even destroyed its use in later years. Misused, the power to love can cut off spiritual power. The abuse of the power to love can result in no love at all. Only its cheap facsimiles of lewdness and lust remain in the wake of pleasure without conscience. Instead of feasting at the banquet table of bounteous love with our own posterity, one is left with scraps from the table, only the refuse from what might have been. The ashes of burned love smolder with the smoke of sadness. Yet the embers of evil still burn. But as loud voices argue on, let us remember that those who advocate abortion have already been born. Those who freely deny God with their amoral and agnostic practices will one day find that He may just as freely deny them. When one knows the doctrine, parenthood becomes a sacred obligation the begetting of life, a sacred privilege. Abortion would be unthinkable. No one would think of suicide, and all of the frailties and problems of men would fade away. In a little publication put out by the Church, it states, When one has washed his robes in the blood of the Lamb, they are no longer soiled. One day a woman came to my business office, and she leaned across the desk and said, President, I have carried a transgression on my heart for 34 years that I cannot carry one more step in this life. I know how tender-hearted you are, and I wouldn't add one particle of a burden to your soul. I said, My dear sister, before you go on, let me share with you a principle of the gospel. When you take a burden off your soul, it is lifted from the priesthood leader's soul also. And then she said, I know I will be cast out. I know I will be excommunicated. But does it have to be forever? Thirty-four years ago, my, before my first husband and I were married, I was involved in an abortion. Since that time, I have felt like a murderess. It was my husband's idea, and I did not resist. I had an abortion. Later, we got married. He was unfaithful constantly during the first two years of our marriage. I finally divorced him and have since remarried a wonderful man who is a convert to the Church. He knows everything, and he still wants to be sealed to me. President, do you think that either in time or in eternity we can be sealed together? I know I will be cast out, but does it have to be forever? The tears flowed down her cheeks. I had known this woman and thought she was one of the most Christ-like women I had ever met. She always baked bread and rolls or cookies for the people in the neighborhood. Whenever they had a ward party and the Relief Society sisters cleaned up, she always scrubbed the floor. She said that she didn't feel worthy to stand by them and do the dishes after what she had done. She only felt worthy to scrub the floor where they walked. She told me that she had never gossiped about anyone else. How could I, she said, after what I have done? I listened to her confession, humbled to tears, and told her, I have never had a case of abortion before. I will need to write to President Kimball, President of the Council of the Twelve, and get his counsel. I wrote to President Kimball and shared the entire story. I told him she was one of the most Christ-like women I had known and that she was willing to submit to any decision he would have for her. Two weeks later, I received his response. I called the sister and asked her to meet me at the stake office as soon as she could. When I arrived at the, the stake center, she was already there. Her eyes were red, and she was pale. I know she must have been on her knees several times after my call, asking for mercy. Again, I sat across the desk from her and said, I do not want to keep you waiting one second longer. We are not even going to stop for prayer. Let me read you President Kimball's letter. Dear President Featherstone, You inquired about a woman who had been involved in an abortion 34 years ago. From the way you describe her, it sounds like she has long since repented. You may tell her on behalf of the Church, she is forgiven. After a thorough and searching interview, you may issue this sweet sister a temple recommend so she can go to the temple and be sealed to her present husband. If the Savior had been sitting where the woman sat, I would not have felt any closer to him. I believe that is exactly what he would have done. It was as though a 2,000-pound burden had been lifted from the heart of this good woman. She wept great tears of relief and joy. Standards of morality set by the Lord Himself are under attack on every hand. Abortion has reached a plague proportion. There have been 
for instance, more deaths from abortions in England in the decade since the English Abortion Act than there were deaths in the First World War. Of this, Malcolm Muggeridge said, I was brought up to believe that one of the great troubles of our Western world was that in the First World War, we lost the flower of our population. Well, now we have destroyed an equivalent number of lives in the name of humane principles before they were even born. As we take a stand against the evils of the day, such as abortion, homosexuality, immorality, alcohol, drugs, dishonesty, intolerance, etc., can we express our beliefs without clenching our fists, raising our voices, and promoting contention? Can we talk about the beneficial principles of the gospel, such as the word of wisdom, keeping the Sabbath day holy, maintaining personal purity, and the other truths found in the scriptures without making our listeners defensive? This is not easy, but it can be done. Ours is, if you please, to plow our own furrow, plant our own seeds, tend the crops, and reap the harvest. This can best be accomplished not only by plowshares rather than by swords, but by appropriate commitment rather than contention. The growing permissiveness in modern society gravely concerns us. Certainly our Heavenly Father is distressed with the increasing inroads among his children of such insidious sins as adultery and fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, abortions, pornography, population control, alcoholism, cruelty, expressed in wife-beating and child abuse, dishonesty, vandalism, violence, and crime, generally including the sin of living together without marriage. There is today a strong clamor to make such practices legal by passing legislation. Some would also legislate to legalize prostitution. They have legalized abortion seeking to remove from the heinous crime the stigma of sin. Sins spawned by pornography unfortunately uh, perpetuate other serious transgressions, including abortion. Abortion with all its heartaches, to say nothing of the destruction of life, continues to rise alarmingly. Last year in the United States alone there were reported over one million legal abortions. That's nearly 50 times the number only seven years before in 1969. One leading authority estimates that by 1980 there may be two and a half million legal abortions. These abortions in many countries are running similarly high. Abortion, the taking of life, is one of the most grievous of sins. We have repeatedly affirmed the position of the church in unalterably opposing all abortions except two rare instances when conception is the result of rape or when competent medical counsel indicates that a mother's health would otherwise be seriously jeopardized. Certainly the tragedy of abortion often begins with a visit to an X-rated motion picture theater or fingering through an obscene magazine. The path to the grievous sins of fornication, adultery, and homosexuality can begin, too, with the viewing of some of the sex and violence-oriented programs now being shown on television, including network television. We must put on the armor of righteousness and resist with all our might these satanic influences. The time is now when members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints must take a stand fearlessly and relentlessly for the Lord's ways as opposed to those of Satan. We decry abortions and ask our people to refrain from this serious transgression.
we have stated the following regarding this sin. The church vigorously opposes abortion and counsels its members not to submit to or perform an abortion. Abortion must be considered as one of the most revolting and sinful practices in this day. When permissiveness is leading to sexual immorality, members of the church guilty of being parties to the sin of abortion must be subjected to the disciplinary action of the councils of the church as circumstances warrant. The Lord stated in the 59th section, Thou shalt not steal, neither commit adultery, nor kill, nor do anything like unto it. Much is being said in the press and in the pulpit concerning abortion. This Church of Jesus Christ opposes abortion and counsels all members not to submit to nor to participate in any abortion in any way for convenience or to hide sins. Abortion must be considered one of the most revolting and sinful practices in this day when we are witnessing a frightening evidence of permissiveness leading to sexual immorality. We take the solemn view that any tampering with the fountains of life is serious, both morally, mentally, psychologically, and physically. To interpret with, to interfere with any of the processes in the procreation of offspring is to violate one of the most sacred of God's commandments, to multiply and replenish the earth. Members of the church guilty of being parties to the sin of abortion must be subjected to the disciplinary action of the councils of the church as circumstances warrant. We remember the reiteration of the Ten Commandments given by the Lord in our own time when he said, Thou shalt not steal, neither commit adultery, nor kill, nor do anything like unto it. We see some similarities. In times past, we have looked upon a person who saves another human life as a great hero. Yet now we have come to a time when the taking of an unborn human life for non-medical reasons has become tolerated, made legal, and accepted in many countries of the world. Because it may be legal to destroy newly conceived life will never make it right. It is consummately wrong. President Spencer W. Kimball has recently said, this is the most despicable of all sins, to destroy an unborn child to save one from embarrassment or to save one's face or comfort. Some say, as did the Supreme Court of the United States, that it is only a theory that human life is present from conception. This is contrary to insurmountable medical evidence. Dr. Bernard N. Nathanson recently revealed that he was among those who were militantly outspoken in favor of legalized abortion and joined in using every device available in political action to promote it. He helped set up and became director of the first and largest clinic, abortion clinic in the Western world. After the center had performed some 60,000 abortions, Dr. Nathanson resigned as director. He said, I am deeply troubled by my own increasing certainty that I, in fact, presided over 60,000 deaths. There is no longer serious doubt in my mind that human life exists within the womb from the very onset of pregnancy. Way back in the 16th century, Arantius showed that maternal and fetal circulations were separate, thus clearly demonstrating that there are two separate lives involved. The unborn babe is certainly alive because it possesses the token of life, which is the ability to reproduce dying cells. For the unborn, only two possibilities are open to it. It can become a live human being or a dead unborn child. Dietrich Benhofer, referring to the unborn babe in the mother's womb, said, The simple fact is that God certainly intended to create a human being. Because she feels it, every mother knows there is sacred life in the body of her unborn babe. There is also life in the spirit, and sometime before birth the body and the spirit are united. When they do come together, we have a human soul, for the Lord has said, and the spirit and the body are the soul of man. Experts tell us that the necessity of terminating unborn life is rarely justified for purely medical or psychiatric reasons. 
Some justify abortions because the unborn may have been exposed to drugs or disease and may have birth defects. Where in all the world is the physically or mentally perfect man or woman? Is life not worth living unless it is free of handicaps? Experience working with handicapped children suggests that human nature frequently rises above its impediments and that in Shakespeare's words, best men are molded out of faults and for the most become much better for being a little bit bad in the physical sense. Many parents who have known the heartache and concern of a handicapped child would agree with Pearl Buck, Nobel Prize winning author, who said, a retarded child, a handicapped person, brings its own gift to life and even to the lives of normal human beings. What a great gift to life, to mankind, the life of Helen Keller brought. It is the belief of those who are members of this Church that human life is so hallowed and precious that there is an accountability to God on the part of those who invoke the sacred fountains of life. The destruction of such a treasure is so abhorrent that the First Presidency of the Church have clearly and repeatedly counseled, as did President Kimball this morning, against the taking of unborn life. I quote, Abortion must be considered one of the most revolting and sinful practices in this day. Members of the Church guilty of being parties to the sin of abortion must be subjected to the disciplinary action of the councils of the Church as circumstances warrant. Members are counseled neither to submit to or perform an abortion except in the rare cases where it is medically necessary, and as the First Presidency have further counseled, even then it should be done only after counseling with local presiding priesthood authority and after receiving divine confirmation through prayer. The First Presidency have advised that it will be amenable to the laws of repentance and forgiveness. One of the most evil myths of our day is that a woman who has joined hands with God in creation can destroy that creation because she claims the right to control her own body. Since the life within her is not her own, how can she justify its termination and deflect that life from an earth which it may never inherit? The great medical profession for which I have such great respects who for centuries has been committed to the preservation of life under the cardinal principles of treatment, do no harm and protect life, now finds itself destroying almost a million unborn children a year in the United States alone. Each of these, because of tiny chromosomal differences, would have been different from any other person born in the world. How many with special gifts like unto Moses or Leonardo da Vinci and Abraham Lincoln might have been among them? These and all others are entitled to a defense in their unborn natural state of existence. One great physician says, we do that much for seagulls, flamingos, and whooping cranes. This same physician, Dr. Henry D. G. Armitage, Jr., states, not without comment shall it come to pass that a state so fretful for the praying, preservation of the praying mantis but holding an unborn babe to be of no account can send a spark of immortality swinging out into limbo and conspire with citizens and physicians to turn a fragile living object of simple innocence and complex wonder into a pathetic pulp and consign it by rude and peremptory passage to the furnace or sewer, unknown, unwanted, and undefended. He further questions how women, as the fertile adornment of our race, can be deluded into the notion that she is a mere portress of unwanted luggage, or be by blandishment seduced into believing that she has dominion over life her own. He says, an abortion is never commonplace, for world, the world holds no heartbreak like the death of innocence. Whenever and wherever it occurs, we all suffer a loss from that little which sustains us and holds us together. It is the degradation of humanity. It is fullness emptied, innocence defiled, song unfinished, beauty discarded, hope unsprung. In our absence, housebreakers are robbing us of everything that we own, of virtue, honor, integrity, trust, innocence, truth, beauty, justice, and liberty." Unquote. I urge all who may have dipped into the fountains of life to respect the divinity inherent in that life and to protect this sacred treasure and its transcending blessings. For the Savior of the world said, 
Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, ye have done it unto me. I leave my testimony that the most precious of all of God's creations is eternal life itself. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. The ugly estimates continue. More than a million, more than a million women each year resort to the illegitimate abortions. This is one of the most despicable of all sins. To destroy an unborn child, to save one from embarrassment, or to save one's face or comfort. As to abortions, we deplore the reported million unborn children who will lose their lives in this country this year. Certainly the woman who the women who yield to this ugly sin and the sin which often generated it, and those who assist them should remember that retribution is sure. It is sure. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, chastity will never be out of date. We have one standard for men and women, and that standard is moral purity. We oppose and abhor the damnable practice of wholesale abortion and every other unholy and impure act which strikes at the very foundation of the home and family, our most basic institutions. A continuation of these immoral practices will surely bring down the wrath and judgments of the Almighty. It was never easy to bear and rear children, but easy things do not make for growth and development. But loud, blatant voices today shout, fewer children, and offer the pill, drugs, surgery, and even unholy abortion to accomplish that. Strange, the proponents of depopulating the earth seem never to have known the word continent. 